Welcome to the Verified Athletics Podcast. If you're an aspiring college football player and you want to know what schools are really recruiting you and not just sending you bulk mail, sign up for the Verified Watchlist, where college coaches can add you to their head coach's top 10 list. Each college only has a limited number of spots. So when you're added to their list, you know that they're serious about recruiting you. You can sign up at verifiedathletics.com. And if you're a high school coach, you can sign up as well and get that information on all of your athletes. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute and please support it by encouraging people you know to listen and spreading the good word on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you're online. Also subscribe and rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is Tim Carey. Tim spent over a decade coaching at the Division I level and now coaches at a prep school, the Taft School, in Watertown, Connecticut. Tim and I coached together for six years He's a great friend. He's probably the smartest coach I've ever had to work with. So let's do it. All right, Tim, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm good. How's the season? How's the team? So far, so good. We started off well. Um, we're 4-0, and uh, we just had a, uh, a big win uh, last weekend against the school we hadn't beaten in a while. So, so uh, we're doing well. Kids are playing well. Well, that's great. Why don't you yeah. spend a few minutes and tell our listeners your history, where you're at now, and what's going on with you? Sure. So I um, um, I played played a little bit of college football and um, at a uh, school, Fairfield University, and partway through my career, they dropped football. Um, but after I was done, um, I really wanted to to coach and uh, you know to make a difference in young people's lives, um, really because I had had some great coaches along the way. And so I was hoping to kind of, uh, do the same thing. So, um, the first job that I had was as a graduate assistant at central Connecticut state university, which was a one double a at the time, I guess, FCS now school in uh, Connecticut. And I worked there for one year. Uh, the head coach at the time, Tom Masella, uh, was hired um, after the season at Fordham University. He brought me with him, coached there for one year, and uh, worked with the secondary. And then I will, from there, I went and became a graduate assistant at University of Connecticut. I uh, worked with the secondary there. And then I went right back to Fordham and coached the secondary um, for uh, a number of years. And then uh, my last two years there, I was a co-defensive coordinator as well. I served as a recruiting coordinator for a good chunk of that time as well um, while I was there. And um, during my last year at Fordham, um, your last year too, I, uh, um, my, my wife became pregnant. Um, we had twins um, a couple of days after the season ended, and I just decided – that um, college football was a great thing, but uh, it didn't provide the balance that I was looking for for my family. So I went on from there um, and found a job at Trinity Pauling School, which is a, uh, a prep school in New York. Um, I worked there for two years as a defensive coordinator and taught. And, um, and then from there, I got a job at Taft School, which is in the same town that I grew up in, in Connecticut. And now I'm doing the same thing, teaching and uh, serving as a defensive coordinator here. Well, that's great. So. And 
I actually don't know um, because they don't have football anymore, but Fairfield, when you went there, what division were they? They were what was called like, uh, I mean, I guess it was, you know, one double A non-scholarship. So, um, so it's similar you know, to like Davidson or Jacksonville or. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, we, you Maris. know, like Jackson, Jacksonville, Maris, those were teams that we played. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was trying not to uh, glorify too much and basically is, you know, the, the equivalent of division three football, but they wanted to have division one basketball there. So. And when you were at UConn, it was Big East school, right? Yeah, yeah. UConn was in the Big East at that time. So all your college football experience, player coaching, it's all at the Division One level, but from like the widest range. Well, not the widest range. I guess Alabama might be at the very top of that range. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if anyone's selling UConn at being the top of the Division One range, but uh, but but still, I mean, you're talking a, a team. You guys. When you were there, did you guys win the Big East? I mean, you guys were pretty good, I think. Yeah, we 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 shared the Big East. We went to three bowl games. Um, we beat Notre Dame. We beat South Carolina. We beat Baylor with RG three. So we 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 were. I was fortunate when I was there. We had really talented teams, and I got to work with some really great coaches who have gone on to you know a lot bigger things. But certainly, I think we were better than they've been recently. Um, yeah, and, and we we were pretty good. We were pretty good. So you've seen a lot of the Division One landscape. I mean, it doesn't that that is really the 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 big breadth of it, you know, from top to bottom. So, yeah. Um, what you know, we've so far on my podcast, I've had a couple of coaches on, but they were both Division Three school coaches, and and you know, you might not really know much about Division Three recruiting, but from what you do know, do you think that Division One recruiting is pretty different, you know, from the athlete's perspective, from the coach's perspective? I think. Um... From what I know, I kind of thought of this, and you you probably have a better idea about this than me, but I always thought that it was quite a bit different. And I think the thing that I always that kind of struck me was just how wide the net is for a Division three coach and just in terms of getting, you know, a huge number of names and, you know, really keeping a lot of those kids alive, so to speak as opposed to a division one coach where you really try to cut that list down as quickly as possible and zero in on kids. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if you would say that's accurate or how you felt, but that's, and then I guess from the other side, it's the same kind of thing. If you're, you know, if you're a division three type player, you're probably casting a wide net and you're probably getting a lot of interest, even from maybe, division one fcf level schools and then all the way down and you're kind of looking whereas you know if you're you know if you're at the very very top of the fbs kind of ladder of that type of player in alabama like you're probably looking at you know a 10 school thing and then you know that probably expands down as you get to guys that are going to the fcs so that that would be that's kind of what i thought and like i said you probably know better than me but i was always just amazed when you know, division three coaches would talk about like how many kids they would be like recruiting and making calls to like in the winter. I was just be like, wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Division three school <laughs> recruiting is brutal for a coach. I mean, it, and I think the landscape has changed a little bit, but when I did it, the nice part would be that it basically didn't really start when I was doing it. This is about 10 years ago. Now it basically didn't really start in earnest until after the season ended. So it was really like, doing like a little bit during the season, having some people up for some game visits and, you know, the occasional watching some tapes as they were coming in. But really like 
I was like, it was like full stop season ends next Monday. I'm on the road and I'm gathering the information. I'm recruiting, say a hundred high schools and I'm going to go and every high school, you know, not every high school has a kid, but half of them have a guy that, that would be worth, you know, recruiting or talking to at the very least, um, from a, you know, athletic and academic standpoint. And so like, you're really going into almost every of your hundred schools that you're recruiting. And, you know, I think that that landscape has changed a little bit now. I mean, huddle is a game changer. Um, allowing coaches to see so much more from so many athletes so much quicker whereas before i mean like when i coached division three you know most of the high school coaches i was dealing with you're dealing you were talking about dvds and on occasion vhs tapes (laughs) so it was different you know but that was a saying is like you're not really starting until mid november end of november early december and you know, that, that made it like, it was intense. You were calling a lot of athletes. You had a big list, but it was over a shorter period of time where division one recruiting is really like a year or two years of dealing with the same athletes. Right. Right. But you know, the one thing I guess I would say about that is, you know, if I think back 10 years ago, that's kind of, you know, when I was at UConn and man, I can remember, you know, finding some kids after the season you know, or maybe kind of towards the end of the season. And, uh, you know, some of those guys are like still like NFL guys, you know? So I think even at the division one level, that landscape's changed. And like you said, I think huddle is a big reason for that, where, you know, some of those kids were coming from a small school and hadn't really played. And it was, you know, you were only going to make a DVD at the end of the season and then send it out, da, 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 da. Um, so I think, you know, even back then, I think in the division one level, a lot of that stuff happened post senior year, um, where, you know, obviously the, you know, USC's and Alabama's, they, they might've been ahead, but I think even a school like UConn, a lot of that, you know, you wanted to see how those kids developed in their senior year and, and just the nature of, like you said, kind of the creating of the tapes and how intensive that was and expensive, like you just didn't you just didn't make a, you know, a four game highlight tape for every kid and send it to every coach in the country, you know? Yeah. And there's like, um, there's definitely a pecking order of college programs. Now that doesn't, not to say that every athlete in the country would prefer Alabama the most and then some other school, the next most. And, you know, not every athlete has the same order of all schools, but there's like a group of schools that get their first pick by and large. And then there's another group of schools that kind of get that next tier and then there's another yeah. group and it keeps on going down and right and so i think like the earlier the alabamas and the auburns and the you know cals and usc's like the big schools you know of the notre dames they're, they're all getting their classes kind of put together and they're starting to filter out the guys that they're offering versus the ones are not then that opens up the door for the Colorado's and the University of Illinois to kind of figure out, you know, the Yukons to figure out where they stand. And then there's like, then there's like, then the filter down to the Colorado States and the, you know, you go UMass or whatever, you go down and down. And then, and then, so the earlier one group starts to start to fill, sort it out, that starts to open up the, it helps, you know, the coaches at the next level down, figure out who it is that is really possible for them to get. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that now it's like, you know, huddle, you know, is, is advancing it for everyone. And then that has a trickle down. So now the division three coach for the most part knows what guys are going to have division one offers, you know, by the middle of the summer, 
of, mm-hmm. of yeah. between the junior and senior year. So now it's like, you know, the, the landscape is out there. These are the guys that are left. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. So from coaching division one and saying that you think there are some differences that athletes should pay attention to, what do you think, uh, an athlete that maybe has borderline division one potential, or at least thinks that they do, what should they be doing to get themselves from, from where they are as like a good high school player that maybe is receiving some level of interest to an offer? Oof, good question. You know, I think it's, 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 um, there's a lot of things and I think, you know, part of it, and I, I never lose sight of this, but part of it can come down to luck because you're talking about, you know, kids that are really, probably really similar in terms of skill set and athletic ability. And sometimes that's just being seen by the right person. It might, maybe it's just being seen by a person who can uh, project you or can kind of see you doing something in the future that maybe somebody else can't. So I think that's part of it. And obviously that part, that piece of it, what I would say, you know, to, to make sure that you're taking advantage of that luck, if you will, piece of it would be, you know, just getting as much exposure as you can and, you know, not limiting yourself. So if, you know, if you're dead set on playing in a division one school, then, you know, get online and get the email address for every, you know, division one recruiting coordinator, you know, out there and send your tape, you know, and, uh, you know, I think that like just that kind of mentality helps you bring about the luck, you know, which is right. Like, I see a person and I've seen this a million times where, you know, like, you know, you, you probably remember this at Fordham. I think about, can we say kids' names on here? I guess they're sure. not kids, they're yeah. grown men. But, you know, I think about like George Dawson, you know, it's like if George Dawson didn't go to Fordham, if I didn't, if you weren't with me when we went to Cardinal Hayes High School and you were like, we went to see a different kid and you're like, well, th- what about this kid? You know, and I was like, well, I never really thought of him. You know, he, he would have gone to Trinity. Like he was going to Trinity. Yeah, he ends you know, up being a three-year starter along right. those lines at a Division right. One school, a, a team that's winning and going to the playoffs. Right, exactly, and you know, and so that's that's the difference between going to Division Three school and getting a full scholarship. And uh, so I think the luck piece, you know, you, you can make your own luck a little bit by getting as much exposure as you possibly can for yourself. And obviously you want to advocate for yourself and your high school coach can help do that and all those things. So that's one piece of it. Yeah, you, and you then, gave me, actually, yeah. let me stop you there for a second. Like yeah. you gave me, you gave me a lot of questions from the things that you said. The first one is, do you really think like emailing college coaches, division one college coaches, um, you know, your tape is like a good path. Is that, does that work? I do, but maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm skewed on this, but I mean, I think that a lot of places have enough of a staff nowadays where they're going to at least take a look at that tape. Now, you're probably better off if you have your high school coach do it. That's what I was going to say. That's probably a little bit better. But I think even if you just send it, I mean, if I think back, like, we used to get so many emails, but... I mean, I'd at least click on it. I'd at least give you, I'm at least going to give you a couple plays because it's not that much more work for me. And it's just the opportunity to find that kind of hidden gem, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I do think that 
a lot of those are going to go unopened. And, and yes, if you can, and your high school coach is willing and able, then that would probably help, you know, get more of those emails opened and films watched. Definitely. That's probably a good, really good point. Like, cause I, I know that like you and I are probably a little bit more thorough natured than a lot of coaches would be in the recruiting process. I mean, I could think of other coaches that have an email inbox with like thousands of unopened emails in them too. And like, and some coaches that don't know how to open their email inbox. I mean, we've worked with guys <laughs> like that too. And I'm just saying yeah. like, I think that I, I, I really advocate for, if you're the type of player that's going to be a successful college football player, I can't believe that you wouldn't have a high school coach that would be willing to get on the phone or send out an email on your behalf. Like if you don't have that, like, how are you, like, what, what are you doing wrong in your own program where like your high school coach won't help you out that way? I mean, maybe you have other thoughts well, on that. No, I, I agree. I'd say that's probably true. Most of the time, the, the only kind of exception I would say would be, you know, I think that there's some coaches out there that, aren't doing as much as they can for their kids. That's true. And I think, you know, some kids, I think a lot of kids probably think they're in that situation. I think a few kids are probably in that situation. Um, you know, and for those kids that are in that situation, then obviously you need to try to find somebody else. And I'll tell you, it's not unheard of. And, and I, you could probably speak to this too, to have um, like an opposing coach, you know, when you're out on the road recruiting as a college coach to have an opposing coach say like, hey, this kid over here, da, 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 da. And so sometimes they may mention that the head coach is, you know, not doing his job. But sometimes they might just say, hey, here's a kid that I think is a good player. So honestly, like if you're a kid and, and you're out there and you think my coach isn't helping me, I think you want to try to find an adult and that might honestly be a coach that you played against. Yeah, I think the, be surprised. the the best recommendation you could get is from an opposing team's coach. I mean, I've... Oh, absolutely. You know, if if someone's high school coach recommends their athlete to me, like, well, first of all, if an athlete sends a, in a film without any, um, you know, with just from themselves or from their parent, I would say one out of every 100 are someone that are going to be even worth a follow-up after watching, like, the, the first two clips, as you kind of pointed out. Right. Um, if the high school coach sends it, now we're talking like more in like the one in 10 range. I don't know. Maybe these numbers are pretty approximated, but I think you get the point. Yeah, and, I'd agree. But if, a, and if an opposing team's high school coach says to watch someone and they and they have the grades, now that's the piece that usually the opposing team's high school coach might not have the full picture on. Um, but and they have the grades, like now you're talking like one in three, one in four, one in two, that this is someone that's totally worth a look and like going to be a follow up. Definitely. Definitely. Because yeah, I mean, high, high school coaches, they, you know, they, they're they're good hearted and they want to do what, what's right and what's best for their athletes. But they're also they love these kids, you know, and so they're going to have a, they're going to have like a, a slightly uh, rosier view probably of their own athletes, just like a parent would of their own son or even in an individual would be of their own skill. Right. Right. Absolutely. So anyway, yeah. So asked you about the. Um, the actual sending of it. I can't remember yeah. what else you said, but you can go on with, with what your thoughts were there. I got you. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I was just thinking, so that was kind of my luck piece, if you will, in, in quotes. And then, um, but I think you made a really good point. I mean, you want, if you can get a coach to do it, that's helpful. 
And then, you know, the other thing is if you're a guy that's close to getting an offer, well, first of all, to get to that point probably takes an incredible amount of hard work. So if you're a young kid and you kind of think you're that person, well, you should make sure that you're working as hard as you can. And I think, you know, just from being in now high school football and having been in college football and kind of coming and seeing, you know, in most probably high school programs, there's not, there might not be a person that works as hard as most of the division one kids do. And you have to understand that, you know, if you're talking about division one scholarship, you're talking about being in the top 1% of high school football players around the country. You know, so if you have a, if your team has less than a hundred kids on it, then the odds are there's probably not a division one kid on your team. And, you know, I think like so many of the kids today are into like, I don't even know what they're into, like watching videos of kids like working out as opposed to like just getting out there and like working their tails off, like in the weight room, on the field when you can do it. And um, certainly there's different places in the country where I think the culture lends itself to that. And I think of like, you know, I think of, you know, places that I've been recruiting would be like, you know, the Southern California where, you know, they have football class and the kids are kind of doing it. So, you know, you're, the young kids are able to see the older kids and, you know, it just builds on itself and they kind of roll through it. And I'm sure Texas is the same way, but, you know, if you're in a place where, you know, football is important, but it's not like a way of life. You might not be able to see exactly what that looks like. Um, but I think it's important just to keep in your mind, like there's a lot of people that want these scholarships. They're really hard to get. And if I want to get one, I have to work my tail off, you know? Um, so, you know, I would never lose sight of that. Like being bigger, faster and stronger, that will help you because that will make, uh, your tape better. And ultimately at the end of the day, that's what's going to get you an offer for the most part um, is, is your highlight tape. So that's kind of like another piece to it, which is maybe the most important piece. And I think often overlooked. Well, at the um, end of the day, those are the, those are the elements that you can control, you know, like, right. you, like luck is luck, right? Luck, right? luck finds you or it doesn't, but, but right. what are you going to do? Like focus on the things that you can control. And that, that means working hard. And that means, you know, getting your high school coach to to get your information out there to, to coaches. And and I I would think like if you're an athlete, if your high school coach is hesitant or reluctant to send your film to a coach, ask him why. Right. No and doubt. And, yeah. and you're going to get an answer that might be hard to swallow or difficult to take, but it's it's what you need to hear most likely. And right. it could be that it's because you don't work hard or it could be because the coach doesn't think you're talented enough for that level or and he doesn't want to you know, send a college coach, someone that, that he doesn't really believe that they should consider. And that's a difficult place for a high school coach to be in, but, Mm -hmm. but like have that conversation. And like, if it is the latter, if it's like, if you think you're a division one talent, right. But your high school coach doesn't think that, but he's like willing to send your tape to division two schools or something like that, then tell him, send my tape to division two schools. And if a lot of them are interested, then help me then let's talk about sending them to division one schools. Right. And so like, just, yeah. just get them going. Right. Right. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a good thing. And I think, you know, I just think of it, it's just like anything else. Um, it's just like, it's just like a student, you know, who's in high school, who's 
applying to colleges uh, who maybe doesn't play athletics, right? And and you, you you always hear these terms, so I think you know people will, will will know them. But you know you have your you have your reach schools and you have your safety schools, and you know and and I think having kind of that mentality for most high school football players is a good idea. You know, it's a I think it's a good idea to have to kind of you know throw a lot of stuff out there and and have a broad range of schools that you're looking at, and some of those can be Division One, but and some of those might be Division Three, and and then as you start to get the feedback, I think that will help you kind of narrow, you know, where you should spend more of your time. And, and like you said, maybe that, maybe that happens beforehand because you talk to your high school coach and he kind of directs you and, and that's certainly valuable, but let's just say your high school coach is like a lot of them and he's just a good guy and he wants you and you say you can play division one and you're one of the best players he's ever had. And he says, let's, let's, uh, let's do it. And, you know, you're not hearing back, you're not hearing back. And then all of a sudden you're, you're hearing back from a bunch of division three schools. Well, then maybe that's where you're probably going to be a better fit. So, you know, I think that point that you bring up just about, you know, the college coaches are telling you something either by their silence, right. Or by their response. And that's, you know, I think you have to, you can utilize that to help have a more successful recruiting process. And what would you say to an athlete if um, if he says, All right, I reached out to the Division One school and the coach there said that I should come to the camp? What, what, what would you tell an athlete that, that heard that? <laughs> oh, man. It just depends. I mean, I think, uh, you know, but if we're just having an honest conversation, like, I mean, I've, I've told kids that I've coached in high school, don't go to, don't go to camp. Not because I don't think they're good enough to play there, but because at a camp, you need to be good at doing things that coaches are going to see at that camp. And, you know, I think the most important thing for a skill kid is to be very fast. And, you know, college coaches really want to get you there because one of the very few ways that they have to verify how fast you you are is by getting you to their camp so that they can time you and they can feel comfortable that they have legitimate times on you in a 40 yard dash and, you know, some other explosive tests and go from there. Because when you're a college coach, as you know, and you don't have that information, you're approximating how fast somebody is based on all these different factors. And it's not, as clean cut as a 40 yard dash time. So I think if you, I think, you know, some kids are better football players and, you know, may have an opportunity to get to school X, Y, or Z, may have a better opportunity to get to school X, Y, or Z if they don't go to the camp. And I don't know, what do you agree with that? I mean, I just think like some kids, it's like you look, like pretty good on tape. You look fast enough. They might be curious, but I think at the end of the day, like you're, you're a kid that could fit there. Um, but I'm worried if you go there, you're going to run this time and then they're going to go end up taking some other kid who didn't come to their camp. Who's just like you, but they don't know exactly how fast he is. And they're going to kind of just say like, well, this kid's too slow because we know that his time is, you know, four point whatever and this other kid must be faster 
Right. Yeah, actually, um, that, that wasn't the exact point I was I was thinking about, but I'll, I will give my thoughts on that. Well, just just last week, we had Issa on the podcast um, who went to Fordham and then played in the NFL for six years. And he said that his recruiting was going great until camp season. And then they found out they were looking at a middle linebacker that weighed 180 pounds, right? Right. And he could have not gone to camps. And every time a college coach came in to see him, could have been wearing his big hoodie and probably could have gotten more offers, right? He ended up really not with any real scholarship offers. He got, you know, uh, like a financial aid level offer from Fordham. But like, like it was being a middle linebacker weighing 180 pounds. That was it. That that yeah. Big Ten, every all they were all done, and every one of those teams, obviously, would have been happy to have them. You know, someone with a long career in the NFL, like obviously, they would have been happy to have them, but they all passed on them for that reason, which I think is what you're getting to. And I, I would just say, like, if you're an athlete and you're not fast, I wouldn't say like that shouldn't be a reason not to go to the camp because you can go to a camp and not run. Right. Um, but just think about it that that when you go to a camp, you have an opportunity for your stock to go up. Or your stock to go down. It doesn't. It's not like oh, it only can go up at a camp. It's not how it right. works. Exactly. And so you have to think like, what is going to happen at that camp, and take a a real good look at what your strengths and weaknesses are, and make sure that you set yourself up so if you if you decide to go to the camp, that you participate in the things that are going to make your stock go up, and try to find ways to not showcase your abilities that are going to make your stock go down. You know, it's no different than uh, a guy that's scheduled to be top five in the NFL draft sitting out, you know, the 40-yard dash at a scouting combine in the pro day because it can only hurt him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and so, like, I would say, like, have that idea. And then also know, you know, depending on where you are on the radar, like, you like your stock staying flat where it's at might not do, like, might be as good as it going down for you anyway because you might be far enough away where, like, like you, all you can do is hope that it goes up and do well. And like in that case, like it can, can only help you if, if like where you're at is not going to be good enough. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I guess the, and the one thing that I would add to maybe put a, a positive spin on this is if you are going to go to the camp, then, and I, I tell this kid to kids all the time when I was a college coach and now prepare for the things that they're going to do at the camp, which is going to be a 40 yard dash, a broad jump or a vertical you know, pro agility, you know, like literally just like you, you know, like you wouldn't come into a, a test, you know, and not study, right? Like they, that is like studying for a test. Like you're going to go out there and practice your starts and practice 40s. You're going to go out there and practice the broad jump. And that stuff makes a difference. Um, and it's really at the end of the day, what matters when you're at that camp? Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would contend that without getting any faster, just by having good technique and knowing how to run a 40-yard dash, you could probably take two-tenths of a second off your time. And two-tenths of a second is enough to go from too slow to better than I thought, you know? And and that's that could totally be the difference between an offer or no offer. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think... um, do you think that all college coaches are as like hung up on the like 40 times as like we sound like we are? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Don't deep deep. I think, I think so. I just think like, I don't know. 
I mean, the thing is, is it, it is important. I mean, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen plenty of players without those things do well. But even saying that, I've seen more of those kids without those things not be able to, you know, play to the level of that, that you're expecting. Do you, I don't know if that makes sense. Does that do you, make? Do you think that we're biased because the position that it probably matters the most for is defensive back, and we're both defensive back guys? I don't know because, I mean, if you talk to guys that are coaching linebackers or D linemen. I mean, how many tackles did you just miss because you're not quite fast enough? You know, or if you're talking about a running back, like, you know, how many times did you just not quite make it there before the the linebacker got over the top because you just weren't fast enough? Yeah, I think so. I do. I do think maybe that there is a little bit. But at the end of the day, gosh, I think about these linebacker coaches. I I never heard him say like, you know, oh, you know, that's all right if he's not that fast. You know, I don't know, but, but you are you are right to a certain extent where the positions that that we worked with primarily, it was so critical. Um, yeah, I mean, I always thought as like a DB coach, um, when the athlete's not when the athlete is afraid that the wide receiver is faster than them, they can't play. Over. Can't it's play because yeah. they can't cover them because now right. they have to be so far off because they're so afraid of giving up you know, 70 yards and a touchdown yeah. that they can't play. Yeah. No, so, like, absolutely. so I always thought that that was a factor. Although like, I don't know how some of them make it work. I guess it just depends on the scheme. Sometimes you can find the right scheme for the right player where, where you can get away with having some other skills and, and the speed can be a little diminished in, in importance. Yeah. I mean, but you know, like, you know, John Hooley and I always kind of talk about this and uh, we just, you know, talk about, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's an odds thing, right? Like, like I said, there's, there are kids that can, that do it, you know, that aren't, aren't quite fast enough or what you think would you'd have to be. And they end up being great players. There's always those kids, but the odds are against those kids. And so when you're in, you know, when you're recruiting, which is basically projecting, you know, your best bet is to, shy away from them because the odds are against them so if you know if you're gonna if just if you look at you know offering scholarships is kind of you know playing the odds right you're you, you want to go with the guys that have a better chance to make it um happen and i don't know if that makes sense but certainly you can make it like and there's been plenty of kids there's even been kids that gosh sometimes i thought like oh, that guy's not fast enough it's like boom all right he's a career nfl guy <laughs> You know, and you're just like, all right, you know, that can happen. Yeah, I think it, I always, I always think of there's two factors too that, that play into it and why college coaches are so into the speed and some of like the numbers that come out is the first one is I think college coaches are cocky, right? They think, they look at a guy, if this guy's fast, but can't get off of blocks and another guy can get off of blocks and make tackles and, but is slow then the college coach thinks to himself, I know I can teach the first guy to get off of blocks and make tackles. I, I That's my profession. I can do that. I can't teach that second guy to be faster. And so I'm going to take the guy that has the thing I can't teach and and uh, and doesn't have the thing I can teach. Right? Do you yeah. think that that's part of it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a huge part of it. I think you always, 
you always thought that you always people always thought that people always said that you know whatever this whatever the scenario was you know it's always you know you know you, you teach and you teach and you teach and yeah definitely. there's a reason why people are willing to take a 66 220 pound offensive lineman more than they're willing to take a 511 300 pound offensive lineman because it's, e- it's easy to teach the weight you know what i mean you could you could get yeah. someone you know you know assuming that they're the right size to, to put but they people could put weight on very difficult to put inches on yes very very <laughs> difficult but uh and then i was gonna say i think the other factor is um because it's so measurable right like i can say that someone is a four four five in the 40 yard dash and this person's a four six five in the 40 yard dash and i have like a like a Rolodex of players in my mind of that were four, four, five and ones that were four, six, five and ones that were four, eight, five. And like, I have experience like, and I can map them against them so easily. And then for a, for like a skill, like making a tackle, like seeing someone that's like just good at tackling on tape versus someone that's not, it's just like, it's not as crystal clear. It's harder to make that comparison. And then like, it's like a, it's like an availability heuristic. So it's like, it's just harder to connect that skill difference to like a tangible difference when you're watching the tape in the way that it's easier to do with a, a 40 yard dash time or a height or a weight. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's like, you just hit it on the head there. It's just like you have so few of those things and and really football recruiting is, is one of the most unique out of all the sports because, uh, it's it's so regional whereas if you look at these other sports if you look at you know basketball or hockey or baseball the way that they structure the recruiting in those is they get all of the best players and then those players like travel around and play against each other and go to like all these combines with each other so they really really do know and like if you ever look at basketball i always think it's insane like how little they miss on like you know lottery picks or like the division one guys you know like you don't have the you know walter paytons and jerry rice's coming out of the fcs like you, you just don't have that because all the best kids play against the best kids and they weed each other out and then they go and just watch those guys and so they're able to kind of get that barometer that you can't get in football and then, but how do you get it if you're a football coach? You measure how tall they are. You time them in a 40-yard dash. You get a broad jump. You get a vert, right? And now I've, now, I, like you said, now I have, I know what a 4-4, four, four, I know what a 4-4-4 four, four, four can do. I know what a 4-6-5 can do and what their limits. So that's kind of how you, as a college coach, create that. Yeah, it's like trying to think of an analogy. It's like, um, it's like you only have the regular season. You only have like where everyone plays everyone. And in basketball and these other sports, you have like that that postseason where you then like take the best from here and the best from here and you play them against each other. And then you find like who the new bests are and you play them against each other until you kind of like let them play it out. Where in football, it's just, there's no way. It doesn't, it doesn't, and nothing close to that happens. Right, right. So. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's definitely a factor. Like you just look at it though, the recruiting thing is such a crapshoot because I always try to compare it to like Tom Brady, arguably the best player that ever played in the NFL, drafted in the sixth round, right? So that means uh-huh. that there's like teams and teams of professionals. Like, so you're talking like, let's say every team has 20 people in their front office times 30 teams. You have 600 people that are spending their full time 
trying to project who's going to be good and who's not going to be good. You're looking at film that is like pretty close, like for like. You're getting multiple in-person visits with each and every one of these athletes. And then they're like ranking them as to who's going to be good and who's not going to be good. And Tom Brady ends up being, you know, 180th out of his like group of, you know, that came out in the same year as he did. And then, then you're asking college football coaches to look at, you know, high school film, which is like every kid that they're looking at is by far the best player on the tape, you know, at all times. And, and so like, they're not playing against each other. And then at the same time, you're also um, spending way less time because you have the people that are doing the evaluating are the same people that are coaching, you know, the, the games on Saturdays. So they're spending way less time on it and they're just taking shots, you know, and they miss a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, some, some of them, um, you know, some coaches, and I always talk about this with other coaches, I don't know if you and I have ever had this discussion, but you almost feel like, you know, if you're at an FBS school, you have 85 scholarships, like you can take a few more shots and miss. You know, if you're at a FCS school and you have 60 or 63 scholarships, like that one miss hurts you so much more, you know. Even then, even Alabama, like even Alabama can miss on a kid and not be hurt as bad as if the University of Maine misses on a kid on a full scholarship. That just percentage wise of like what you're talking about, the makeup of your team, like that just hurts you more. So I think that people kind of understand that and and you see that at that level, not at Alabama because they don't have to miss, but, you know, but maybe it's like a Mac school or something where like they're going to take some shots and try to get – you know, they're going to try to get the J.J. Watt or the whoever else, you know, the uh, what's the uh, pass rusher there for the the uh, Dolphins, Jason Taylor's, you know, they're, they're going to take some shots to try to get those kids because they have 85 scholarships. So why not? And what do you think, like in your time, what do you think that the guys that are, quote unquote, under recruited have in common? Meaning like the guys that probably could, you know, after seeing them through a four year college career, you say like they could have played at a higher level, but weren't recruited. What do you think like they all share in common? What what's like the common thread there? I think the the most common thing is like lacking a measurable. So either they might be a little bit short, they might be a little bit slow, they might be you know a little bit undersized in terms of weight. But I would say that would be the that would be the I think the common thread is right some measurable thing that this person doesn't have. And, you know, like, you know, you know, when you're recruiting, you know, and you go out to see a kid and you look at a kid and you think about the position he's going to play in college, you expect that kid to, to look a certain way. And when they don't look that, that way, I think then that's the kid that's going to become under recruited or, you know, the speed thing factors in too. But I think, probably now that I'm saying this, that they probably, it's probably height, weight, probably like how they look more often than not. I don't know. What, I don't know. Do you think that's? Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I, I, was, I probably would have said something different, but uh, in response to what you were saying, do you think that that means that if college coaches just dialed down their sensitivity to that height, weight, or like the look of the athlete just a little bit, they would do better? Or do you think that like they might get one more of like the under-recruited guy but they'd also let in like a flood of guys that were never going to make it. Yeah. I think it's probably more the latter because I'd say at the end of the day, 
you know, like you said, it's a crapshoot. So again, if it's a crapshoot, well, what are you going to bet on? What's got the best odds? Well, if I'm looking at an offensive tackle and he, one of them six three and one of them six five, the six five kid has a, has better odds of making it in college because he's got longer arms, et cetera, et cetera, and everything you know that goes with it. Um, you know, if I'm looking at a linebacker, one of them's five eleven and the other one's six one and a half. This kid that's six one and a half is probably going to be able to take on a guard easier. He's probably going to be able to see over the line better and find the ball, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, it's hard for a college coach to dial it down because I think that you would probably just end up letting in guys that don't necessarily make it. Yeah, I wonder, like, it'd probably be worth trying to figure out, like, what coaches, what staffs are over, you know, like, more um, looking at, like, who is, like, the biggest, fastest, strongest type guys and who is, like, dialing that down and thinking of that as being less important and then thus picking up, like, the like the guys that are, like, the, I don't know, the people missing those things but have everything else that are getting, you know, shopped over. Yeah. Um, and would, I'll tell you, that would be interesting. To see, like, who then, like, you know, there's probably a lot of other variables that would be, like, who wins and loses. But then, like, maybe just who produces more NFL players, you know? Right. Um, right. Anyway, it'd be worth it'd be worth thinking about and like looking into. I, I'm, if I have a chance, one day. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It makes me think about uh, this guy that I, these two guys that I worked with at UConn. So one of them was a defensive coordinator, and he he was a high, he played in high school, and one of the other coaches who was a tight ends coach, he was recruiting, and he recruited this kid, and uh, the coach was at West Virginia at the time, and he was recruiting the kid. And I uh, remember them having like some conversation one time and you know, the, the coach, the older coach that was at West Virginia said to him, you know, you were, uh, you were too, too small, too slow back then. And you still are. <laughs> but like, but that, that high school football player, he went to Wisconsin, you know, like he played at Wisconsin, but at West Virginia, this guy was like, you're, you know, you're too small and too slow, you know, and this the guy was from Pittsburgh. So it's like, you know, that's down the road. Right. But, but, he wasn't too small and too slow for Wisconsin, right? So it's just, I always think it's, uh, and he like, you know, played in a Rose Bowl and stuff. You know, it wasn't like they, you know, they were good. Like, so it's just, I think that is an interesting point that, that you bring up. And I think, I think it's good, like, especially when you, I mean, we're talking, we're, we're doing this, I hope, I think for kids a lot, right? And yeah. You don't want to be discouraged. I think a lot of the stuff that we say can be discouraging, but you know, to say it to be discouraging, I think we just want to, be honest about kind of what the landscape looks like, you know, behind those closed doors. Um, you know, yeah, so don't know about. on that note, like, what do you tell, what do you tell the athlete? I mean, you're a high school coach now. What do you tell the athlete that is too short, too little, too slow, but is a hell of a player? And like, what do you tell them? I mean, you probably have those guys. Yeah. I mean, I think so. You know, maybe I'm more fortunate than a lot of high school coaches because I have, you know, uh, a lot of experience on the other side. And I think, and, and I, and you know what, I've had this conversation with family, friends and, and stuff. And I think I just try to be really honest about the scenarios. So I think, you know, depends on the kid, depends on the situation, but I think a really common conversation to happen is, you know, listen, for whatever reason, 
you know, these schools aren't interested in you for a scholarship. Um, they may be interested in you to come and walk on there and you can do that. And then I'd probably talk to them about the process of walking on a division one school, which, you know, can be a really, really difficult thing to do, but also on the back end, it can be really rewarding whether you play a lot or not. I mean, I think, you know, in, in the reason that I talked to them about that is because you want to have an idea of what that looks like, you know? So if you're a kid who says, well, I want to play division one football, I don't care. Well, then you're a good candidate to walk on. If you're a kid that says, I want to play, you might not be as good of a candidate to walk on, um, you know, and then, so whatever, sorry to just kind of shift gears, but, you know, and then I'd go to the kid and maybe talk about some of the other schools that might be a better fit and talk about, you know, how their skill sets might translate there and what, you know, what that might mean for the odds of their career there, you know, versus division one. And then, you know, you just want to give them information, um, you know, about what it might look like if they enter that world. And then hopefully they can make some decision, you know, with hopefully some added information. I don't know if that makes sense. So I say, Hey, this is, this can be really hard, but I think you'd have a shot to maybe do this or that. Maybe you have, maybe you have a shot to be on special teams. Hey, maybe if you, you know, if you're able to put on this much weight, you can play or, you know, Hey, maybe you'd be able to catch the coach's eyes, but if that doesn't work out, you're going to be on scout team. And this is kind of what being on scout team looks like. And then versus, Hey, you go to, you know, Trinity College or Williams or, you know, whatever it might be. And those are great schools. And, you know, the odds are you're going to play sooner. So I think it's kind of that, you know, little fish, big pond, big fish, small pond kind of uh, scenario that you want the kid to at least be able to consider when making that decision. Yeah. yeah. So I guess like on the practical side of like how to get past those things and still get the scholarship offer. It might be the things that we talked about before. Right. right? Just, we got to like hide the thing that's going to bring your stock down, you know, as best you can, you know, and it's hard to do that because coaches want to, want to know that piece of it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's hard, but like, Hey, I, we have like linemen. I tell these guys and like, once the fall starts, you wear Timberlands to school every single day. Yeah. You don't like, I, like, and I, and like sometimes like the kids will like look at me and I'll just be like, I'm not kidding. Like don't ever wear shoes. Don't yeah. ever wear shoes. You don't want the you don't want the you don't want the six one, you know, wide receivers coach coming in and looking down at at your old yeah. lineman. Exactly. I mean, that's just like in that's like that's a real thing. Like that is that like is just like good advice for a high school kid. Yeah, and then, and then I think like where you went with the question is is totally like a good place to go, which is to say that one way or another, if they're not recruiting you to put you on scholarship at a division one school, if you go there, then the coaches there think that everyone else that they're bringing in your recruiting class are better than you. <laughs> That's what they think. Yes. And they might be right. And they might be wrong. They're right. more often right than wrong, but they are wrong a lot. And, yeah. and if you are, I always say like, there are some subset of or walk-ons that become scholarship players, become starters. I mean, you and I have seen, Plenty of guys who that some of the best players that we've ever coached were walk-ons when they started. Yeah. Um, and and so, like, that is a thing that happens, and it happens all the time. But it happens, one, for about every 10 times the other thing happens, which exactly. is that they walk on, they play on the scout team, and 
by the time they're a senior or junior, they get onto some special teams and maybe become a backup at the position that they play and never earn a scholarship. That Correct. is like that is like the normal thing. Right, right. And so, you know, like when we were at Fordham, it was because of the way if, if you remember like the walk-ons, they, they couldn't receive any financial aid. So like I would always be really cut and dry with the people. And I, and I think I, I now I carry that with me there. I started just because of the nature of the rules. But if you are counting on earning a scholarship to financially afford the school you're going to, you shouldn't do that. Like you should not come in as a walk-on counting on earning a scholarship and making that part of how you're making that financial decision. Like because of what you just said, because most of the time you're not going, that's not going to happen. Yeah. That would be like, that would be like going to Vegas and putting $10,000 on black, like a few times in a row. That's your plan to pay for college. (laughs) No question. Less fun though. Yeah, Vegas that, would be more fun than the, than being on the scout team. Being be a scout team guy for three years—that's that's, that's yeah. less fun. Yeah, that's probably I, true. I think so. I mean, you know, the thing is, always like that—that that is a lifestyle that does work for some athletes. I mean, you and I have seen that too. Where like that—that that is like what they want, and that is more yeah. fun for them. That's what they want rather than playing at a Division three school, and that's right. totally fine too. Right. And you know what? Now that you kind of say that, and I think about it, most of those kids—I shouldn't say most—but a lot of those kids come from good high school programs like those, those they, kids they, being who those kids that that can walk on mm. and be more satisfied with a smaller role but can be in a bigger program you know i think a lot of those kids are able to do that when they come from a high school program that's maybe a little bit more intense because they have a better idea of what they're stepping into they've been you know, weightlifting year round and practicing all the time and doing, you know, like they are in some ways more trained for that difference. Whereas you're a kid that's coming from some program where you were the best. Now you're stepping into something where now you're into the bottom 10% of the team. And also you have all this, it's this much harder than it was there. You're not having success, you know, so I think that not to say that the other kids can't, but when you said that, I just that just made me think, start thinking about some of those guys and like, God, a lot of those kids came from, you know, what I would consider to be pretty good high school programs that were more that were more satisfied with that smaller role. Yeah, and this is getting back to what I was gonna ask or at least say before, which was when I asked you what I thought what you thought like the the common thread between people that got under recruited were were. Um I actually would have thought of something else, which also relates to the walk-ons that became successful players, which is there's like a mentality component that I think Uh, there's like part of it is like the indignation of like being passed over and like that motivating and pushing people. But it doesn't always have to be that It, it I think it sometimes it manifests itself as like if the reason you were successful in high school was not because of height or speed or weight or athletic ability, but because like you just refuse to let someone else beat you. That's like your thing. And you can maintain that. Then you will find like those types of guys, I think find a way to be good wherever they are at whatever they do. Yeah. Like, it's just like, if I have to be in the gym, you know, 24 seven to get it done, if I have to watch the extra film, if I have to, um, if I have to like stay out after practice and catch balls for, 
for an hour. Like if I have to, if I just have to like go as hundred percent from whistle to whistle every single time. Whereas like some people do that some of the times and then 90% and then they kind of finish place sloppily sometimes. And I'm just going to be that person that's a hundred percent all the time. And if, if they, cause that's, they know that's what it takes to win. And they have that mentality that says that I'll figure out what it takes to win. And I'm going to do that thing. Those are the guys that get under recruited because they don't have the measurables and then end up being great for the level they play at. And then I think that's also the trait of a lot of the walk-ons that have been successful. Yeah, I would, I would agree. You're definitely right. So I don't, I don't know if that's something that um, an athlete can, in some ways that is like, I think as, as an innate of an ability as height or weight or, you know, some of these other things that are speed. It's like some people kind of have that gear and some people don't, but I imagine it's something that, that if focused on can be at least improved in people. Yeah, I would think so. So to the extent that that's practical advice for someone, uh, you know, I hope, hope someone can, can transact on it. Yeah. It's not, uh, you know, it's all this stuff is hard. You know, you're talking about, you know, getting a scholarship and again, I go back, you know, you just, you're talking about a small percentage of kids. So, I mean, I think all these things are good and you have to, you know, put them together and, and try to give yourself the best opportunity. And maybe it's a little improvement with mentality. Maybe it's a little improvement with speed. Maybe it's a little, you know, maybe, and, and, and maybe those little things add up. Yeah. And I guess I want to, um, definitely pick your brain on some other things. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about prep schools okay? Um, because that's where you're at now. You spent the last three or four years now, I feel like um, coaching at a prep school and that's a different world. I know very little about it, but it's, it is a path for some athletes. And, and I don't know to the extent that you feel like you can also touch on junior colleges. If, if you think that you have a, a decent perspective on that, because I think they're tied together in some ways and, you could just jump on it from there and tell me what you think. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, so, you know, the prep schools are, can be a good path. I mean, and there's a couple of different, there's a couple of different kind of routes of entry. So one would be, obviously we have the majority of our team is made up of kids that are, you know, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And a lot of kids nowadays, what's really popular and, this is certainly not unique to football. And, and now, now that I'm doing this, I actually think that it's been going on for a long, long time in other sports is for kids to repeat a year of school. And, you know, and, you know, that allows for, um, you know, academic development, social development, and, you know, along the lines of what we're talking about, physical and athletic development, um, because you're in high school for five years. So, you know, it, you know, for I go back and think about, okay, how different was I my freshman year of college than my senior year of high school? And, you know, for a lot of kids and a lot of people that, that can go back and think about that, there's probably a big difference. And, um, and some of, you know, what the prep school does is give kids potentially an opportunity to, you know, maybe take advantage of an extra year of development. And then the other way that you can come in is as a post-grad, which essentially you're doing the same thing, but you're just coming in at a later date, um, which is really what I think even before I got into this world, that's kind of what I knew of the prep school was like, you know, hey, there's here's the kind of kid that's a little bit under-recruited or, or he got hurt during his senior year or, you know, his grades are good, but they could be a little bit better. And now here's this opportunity for an extra year of school. 
um, you know, physical development, athletic development, skill development on the field, and, you know, maturing. So, um, you know, these schools um, kind of give that opportunity to kids. And, um, you know, I think that that can be a really valuable um, thing for, for a, you know, 17, 18 year old kid. And I think, you know, the thing in, in, and you may have an idea about this or, or maybe you don't, but, you know, a lot of kids are actually at different ages when they graduate high school. And so if you're a kid that's going to be 17, you know, in your senior year of high school, there's other kids that might be 18 and, you know, probably not many, but a few that might be 19. Like if you're on that lower end of the spectrum, like this might be a huge break for you because, you know, physically, if you're a male, that's just, you're still developing and, and to have that extra year to help you showcase yourself might go a long way to go from under recruited to, you know, now getting whatever opportunities you think. So, um, you know, those are, that's a little bit about, kind of the positives of the prep school and the thing about how this works is for the postgraduate so that's a kid that completes four years of high school he plays you know football or whatever whatever sport it is but we're talking football i guess um nothing seems to work in his recruiting process he's looking for something he finds a prep school he goes there that's great and that definitely happens um but like the school, most schools are kind of limited in terms of how many of those postgrads they can take. So the school that I work at, we can take four of those. Um, and then, you know, there's some schools that we, we play that can take eight. Um, and then there's some schools like uh, Bridgeton and Milford, which are pretty much entirely made up of kids like that. Um, but they're few and far between. So that's a great option. It's just those spots, I guess, are more highly coveted. And, and, and harder to come by. Um, but yeah, those, I'll tell you, doing that can, can make a big difference. And, you know, we have a couple kids at our school right now, if we have, well, we have four postgrads and all of them are getting, you know, division one from FCS to small FBS interest. Um, and they didn't have that before, but they're physically more developed. Um, you know, they're, they're, in a different, you know, some of them come, came from good programs, some of them came from smaller programs where they probably didn't have the exposure and all those things. But I think certainly um, they're getting a different level of recruitment than they had prior to coming to Taft. So to take just a step back, what is a prep school? You know, I think like for some people that that is like the first question. That's a good question. Well, I guess now that I say that, I mean, both the schools that I've worked at, Trinity Pauling and Taft, are what are considered, um, I guess, independent boarding schools. So they are schools where, you know, some percentage of the population at the two schools I worked at, you know, I don't know, it's probably in the 60 to 75 percent of the school's population. They actually live at the school. They go to school there. They play sports. They go back to their dorm room like you would in college, kind of, and they do homework. They get up and they do it all again. So they actually live at the school, which is like, you know, not common for for most high school age kids. Um, so that would be 
I guess when I'm saying a prep school, that's probably kind of really what I'm talking about. And then there's other schools that are, you know, day schools that are, you know, private schools that are day schools that would, you know, allow you to repeat. And so maybe if you had a school that was near you, like um, Brunswick schools, a school, for example, that we play in, in some sports, and that's a day school in Greenwich, Connecticut. And, you know, they'll have kids come in there and maybe the kid will repeat his sophomore year or his junior year, but they don't have postgraduates. And I don't know if there's any day schools that do have postgraduates. I'm sure there are. I just don't know of them. Um, but that's what a prep school is. And they're, you know, they're, they're not a public school. They're funded by tuition and, you know, donations and things like that. And a lot of them are what they call independent. So they kind of do their own thing. It's a little different than like, you know, a Catholic school where it's kind of run by the church. Uh, so I guess maybe I'm not the best person to ask about that since I don't seem to know that much, but I don't know if that kind of gives you an idea. Yeah. Um, let me tell you like what I would, how I would describe it and then tell me where I'm missing the, missing the boat. Good idea. Um, so I would describe it as maybe entirely, but at least mostly there's schools in the Northeast. Is that right? Definitely mostly. Yeah. Okay. And what are there other parts of the country that have like, like a big number of them too, or is it really Northeast and then there's sprinklings elsewhere? Northeast and then there's sprinklings. Like I think there's some pretty significant ones in Michigan or one or two, you know, one or two. And then there's a few in, in California, uh, Colorado, maybe one or two and something in Texas, maybe. But yeah, definitely mostly the Northeast, most of the Northeast. That's definitely accurate. Right. And then I would also say that at least from a football perspective, if I'm going to call something a prep school, that means that they offer PGs like they have they have athletes that have not gone to school there that then go there specifically, you know, not entirely for football, but for a major reason of it being to play football. Definitely. Um, and so like there are high schools that might have the word prep in their name, uh, but they're not prep schools in the sense that you and I are referring to. Right, right. And then yeah, absolutely. And then I would say like an additional component to it is not 100 percent, but mostly they board some percentage of their students. So that means like they have students that live there on campus in dorms just like they would in college. Yeah, I would agree with that. Right. OK, yeah. So. I think that for most cases, like athletes would go there um, in the sense for football. And, and I'd say like additionally, in most cases, like a lot of these schools are like some of like the finest like educational institutions for high school age kids in the country. Right. If you're yeah, if you're a, a millionaire and a billionaire, like a lot of them are sending their kids to these types of schools. Would you say that that's true? And I'm sure like some of them more than others. But but that is like a vibe yeah. that I think comes through. Yeah, definitely. That you know, a lot of these schools are are really you know are expensive, and so certainly the the population is is that that has you know their parents have have quite a bit of money. Okay, and then if you're recruited to go to one of these schools to play football, whether it's as a repeat sophomore, junior, whatever, or a post grad, um, what does what does like that look like? What is a scholar? Do they offer scholarships like? Are you paying $50,000 a year? Like, what is going on? Well, most of the schools, or at least the ones that I've been at, and from what I understand, everyone's really supposed to operate this way, 
um, they offer need-based financial aid. So it's really comparable to, you know, the college, like FAFSA and how that would generate, you know, financial need. Um, so you have kids that are here that get no financial aid, that have to pay the full amount of tuition. And then you have kids that probably pay literally nothing to come to these schools. So that is at least supposed to be determined strictly by financial need. Okay. And so there's no athletic scholarships, even for like postgrads. There's no athletic scholarships to my knowledge. I'm sure some schools are different. And from what I've seen, you know, people are willing to um, maybe work with a student athlete that maybe can bring something to the school that, you know, the school wouldn't otherwise have or just the school needs. So, you know, for example, like, you know, a kid that's a three sport varsity athlete is pretty desirable at these schools because athletics are a pretty decent size of the or a piece of the culture because there's no PE programs, right? So every kid plays sports. That's the PE program. So they have a lot of sports teams and just like everything they do, they want to, they want to succeed in, in all and everything that they do. So if you have a kid that, you know, plays football, plays basketball, plays lacrosse or baseball, whatever it might be, like that's a kid that's helping the school on those fronts. And also, I was I was just going to say, like, also, if you have a kid that's really super smart and good at a sport, right, and maybe has a lot of Ivy League interest, like, there's like another thing, right, that you can sell to the school, like, right, to get somebody that's going to go to, you know, Harvard, Yale, or Princeton. Could you get an academic scholarship for these types of schools from like your as high school grades? As far as I know, you can't get that either. Okay, so it's all financial aid, and then it's yeah. It sounded to me like it kind of works like it does at Division three schools, where it's Technically, by rule, there should be no difference between an athlete and a non-athlete in the financial aid package they get if, like, all right. else was equal, right? Right. But that right. probably, in reality, it plays out differently. It, I think. I think depending on the school, it may. Um, but I would certainly say that some non-athletes that are like you asked about the academic scholarship. I think some of those kids can kind of get the same. Um, I don't know what the word is. They could receive kind of the same the same type of backing that maybe a an athlete would receive in terms of finances that maybe went a little above and beyond what they qualified for. Does that make sense? Yeah. So and- like both things are valued. You know, like the 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 academic piece is probably just as valued as the athletic. And the athletic piece, um, can that be your ticket in? Whereas like otherwise you might get denied entry, you would get accepted entry because of athletic skill and ability. Well, I think, I think so. I mean, I think every kid's got to meet kind of some baseline. Like you think about like Fordham kind of our admissions. So like every kid has to meet that baseline. Um, But certainly, you know, now you have somebody that's trying to, that's advocating you through admissions and yeah, that's probably, that's probably going to be your ticket in. You, know, you gotta you gotta meet some baseline level, yeah. right? And then if you get to that, and now, right, like now you bring this athletic skill with you that kind of puts you maybe separates you from the other people that are getting to that level. Because otherwise, like if your parents don't make any money, why not just go to one of these schools? Because they're gonna 
let you go for free. You know, I mean, you have to get in right, too, right? right. And so the football right. piece might be the piece that gets you in. Okay. That's right. That's that makes right. a ton of sense. Um, and I think you touched on this before, but what is who? What is like the characteristic of someone where prep school is the right choice for them? And what is the characteristic of someone that prep school is not the right choice for them? So um, I guess, are you asking like just a kid that's, you know, just looking at it or are you, or are you asking like farther down, like, are you asking like a post-grad or are you asking like a, maybe well, like an underclassman? Because I think it could be a little different. Yeah, well, um, let's start with the post-grads because that's probably more relevant to the audience that would listen to a recruiting podcast. They're probably seniors and the the repeat sophomore year has shipped, that ship has sailed. So No question. Well, so for, for those types of kids, I would say the kid that it's not the right choice for is the kid that has some type of scholarship offer to some place that is, you know, putting him and his family in a good financial situation. Like maybe you have a division two school and, you know, and they, they're covering 80% of the, the bill. Like to me, it's a tough pill to swallow as a prep school coach to come in and say like, yeah, but come on take a shot here. Maybe we can get you a hundred percent. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause I mean, we had, I had a kid at Trinity Pauling two years ago and he came now, he came under a different circumstance, but in our very first scrimmage in warmups, he broke his hand and he was a post-grad. Now everything ended up working out and he went to a great place, but like, you know, that can happen. So I think if you have a good setup, you have a school that you're happy with and you have a good, you know, um, good package that, that makes sense for your family, like it's not worth to me the risk. The the kid that it makes sense for is the kid that was hurt his senior year of high school. Maybe he was hurt, you know, leading into his senior year, so he didn't have a lot of tape, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe you grew a bunch and you're still kind of growing into your body. Or maybe you're just under recruited, but you're a really good player and this will give you a chance, you know, especially like you're a kid from some different part of the country and this gives you a chance to get, you know, get exposed to a bunch of different college coaches. Um, you know, maybe you're the kid that just needs to clean up your grades just a little bit and get your SAT score up. So I'd say like those are kind of the kids that fall in the category where now it makes sense for you. So to me, it's like kind of cut and dry. Like you have something, you have a good opportunity, you take that. Like you go, cause at the end of the day, that's what you're coming there for, right? Like you're coming there to get, you know, a scholarship offer most likely, or just, you know, different opportunities. So if, if that opportunity has already presented itself, go and take it. Yeah. And then, but, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, all right. So that makes sense. And then as far as like PG being like a good chance for someone that needs to get their grades up, from what I understand, there's like a limit to that. It's basically like you have to be pretty close. If you're not close, then you can't make up enough usually in one year of a postgrad where like that's not as good of an option as say going to junior college might be for you. Right, right. So definitely you can't make up a lot. You got to be close. And, um, you know, maybe it's that, you know, you had one class that you really did poorly in and, and that class is getting counted for your you know, qualifications and you could replace that one class and maybe you're going to be like, well, I'm going to get an A instead of a whatever, a C, and that makes a big difference. Or maybe you're a kid that has, you know, uh, special accommodations so you can replace a couple classes instead of one. 
Um, or maybe you're a kid that just wants some more time to prepare for the SAT and take that. And that's the one thing that you see that can go up more significantly is the SAT um, than, the, than, the, than the grades. But you're absolutely right. Like you, you're going to have to be close. You know, and, and a lot of times you're talking about maybe you're talking about a kid that's you know, borderline for an Ivy League school. So you're talking about a kid with excellent grades, but he just needs a little bit more to get to that level. Yeah. And like it also, I think I imagine if you're the, the type of athlete that was borderline or just below the border on grades, like even if you did go to a college directly, I bet you'd be uh, like high risk to not make it academically. Whereas right, I bet if you right. have like that one year at like a boarding school where you get like kind of like halfway into the college experience, I, I think I would think of it as being halfway. Maybe yeah. you have a different thought, but um you get yourself halfway into that college experience. Now, all of a sudden you can, you can get yourself, you know, prepared so that when you finally do go to college, you actually have a much better chance of being successful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. definitely look at it. Like it's really like a, especially for the post-grads, it's really like a bridge program where you're kind of, you're, you're kind of on your own, but there's a lot more oversight than there is in college. Like people are really checking on you. You have, you know, dorm parents who are coming and checking on you and your free time, and, and then you have people that are keeping a really, really close eye on your classes, and you, you know, there's expectations to do homework and all those things that I think set you up with the habits that will make you successful in college. Yeah, and then as far as like recruiting interest going up, I, I agree with you that, that if you go to a PG school, you know, you, you take a PG year, um, that you are going to get more, more likely than not, you're going to get more interest than when you had as a senior in high school. I agree with you on that. And the question is like, to what extent, how, how would you think about that? I, I always thought that it was like, if you were getting heavily recruited by division three schools, you know, that like you might get to the spot where you're getting recruited now by division two schools. And if you were getting heavily recruited by division two schools, you might get to the spot where you're starting to get some FCS looks and interest. And then, you know, kind of up like, that that one step that's how i always thought of it as being like an average case but you have probably a lot more use cases than i do no i i think that's i think that that is probably pretty accurate for the average case you know barring some you know extenuating circumstance um that that's probably the average right like yeah probably like a step up you know i i definitely would agree with that and do yeah. you think that a lot a lot of the parents and and athletes that you deal with that are coming in, like maybe they were getting by recruited by division three schools and they wanted to open up more doors and opportunities. Are they like, are they thinking that they're going like to Alabama once this year is over or are they more realistic? <laughs> um, well, at least in my dealings with them, I, I make sure that they're more realistic than that. And, you know, I think, um, you know, I haven't really gotten into it at the new school I'm at, but at the, the last school I was at, you know, we were always really honest with the kids about what this meant and what it didn't mean, you know, and, and that it's an opportunity and kind of like the same thing that you said, like, you're not going to go from, you know, going to Western Connecticut State to Alabama unless you grow six inches between now and then and this and that and that, right? Um, so we always had those conversations with people up front to kind of, uh, make sure that the expectations were in line with reality. Um, but also, like, we always felt like the, that the postgrad program was really valuable above and beyond football. 
Like we really did feel like it was something that prepared the kids for college and prepared them to be successful, take football out of the equation. Um, so, you know, that was always a big part of, of what we talked about. And I think that that is definitely true for a lot of the kids that we're dealing with, right? Because these are a lot of the kids that, you know, just quite didn't get there. And, you know, for a lot of high school aged males, some of what it takes to get there is just time to mature and time for your brain to develop and mature in the ways, you know, that are going to help you be successful. So, um, you know, that's that those are the conversations that, that we would have, you know, kind of leading in. So so people hopefully are expecting, you know, a reasonable outcome. And do you think people listen to you, like athletes and their families listen to you more because of your background? <laughs> I don't know if they do. I think they should. I don't know if they, yeah. I don't know if they do either, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I think sometimes, I think sometimes, I mean, I think it's just like anything in life. I think where if it's something that they want to hear, then they do. <laughs> if it's something that they don't want to hear, then I don't know if it helps anymore. Yeah. You know, if I'm if I'm telling what they want to hear, if I'm saying like, yeah, you seem like a Patriot League player, like I think I could see out of you know, they're they're excited. If it, if it's like, yeah, you know, uh, you might be more NESCAC. I, I don't. I think they just like uh, whatever. See you later. <laughs> yeah, there. That's like that is the issue. Is that you want to be helpful, you want to be honest, but um, but it's sometimes it's hard to get people to listen to the things that they don't want to hear. I think that was well put. Um. As far as you and, you know, transitioning from coaching division one to coaching at prep school, um, what's that been like? What's that transition been like for you? You know, it's been, it's been interesting. It's been good overall because I was able to, um, kind of create a, uh, a, a different lifestyle for myself and my family. And that was my ultimate goal was to be able to spend more time with my family. And so that, that part is super positive. Um, and in terms of the coaching, it's, it's, um, it's similar, even though it is so different. I mean, you're still, still dealing with, you know, um, kids and, um, in football and it's still at the end of the day, it's the same thing where, you know, even in college you have, even though everyone there is, you know, the best of the best, da, 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 so to speak, you know, you still in college had the kids that were the hardest workers on your team and then a bunch of kids that were kind of in the middle and then some kids that were on the edges, right? And like the whole thing is you're always trying to get everyone that's, you know, just to kind of move them up a peg, like on, on in terms of their commitment and all that stuff. And so that still remains. And, um, you know, I think um, – you know, that part of it where you're just trying to develop kids and their character and their work ethic is the same, even though it presents itself in a lot different way. Um, just because in college, it's about winning games and, and what that means and, and those types of things here, you know, you know, <laughs> you might never see it on the football field, but maybe a kid just, you know, all of a sudden is doing his homework in, his, in whatever class and going and getting extra help. Um, but you are, you know, building those um, those skills that hopefully will help them throughout life. So that that part of it, I've really enjoyed. And and just in terms of football, taking everything else out of it, um, 
you know, obviously it's a lot less. Football's a much smaller piece of my job now. I spend more time uh, planning classes and grading papers than I do, you know, breaking down film and recruiting. Um, but I still, you know, we still run the same, you know, scheme, uh, you know, that colleges run and things like that and just do a little bit less with it. So, you know, if you had 20 calls on your call sheet, now maybe I only have five. First of all, you you teach math, so if you're grading papers, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but so game day, are you still screaming expletives at the top of your lungs when a touchdown when you give up a touchdown, or, or are you a little calmer these days? You know, I I took the expletives out of uh, the vocabulary for the game days, but I still I still will lose my mind from time to time. What? But I have. Uh, I have uh, tempered it down a bit. Do they at least put you in the booth so you're a little bit removed from the players like you were well, when, I, when I coached with you? Well, you see, no, because the, the, the hard thing about being in the booth here is like you're literally standing with the parents. So they got me down on the field. So that way I'm, I'm, with, I'm, I'm not away from the kids, but I am away from the parents. So so it's it's all good. But you know what? I, I, I don't know. I, I always think about this. I just think about like, God, is it okay to like sometimes just yell at a kid because he hasn't done what he want, what 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 he's supposed to do, and and I think it is okay. Like I mean, I'm not saying to to like demean a kid and to like personally attack him, but like if I if I told you to come off the edge and contain and keep everything inside and you didn't do it three times in a row, like it might be okay for me then to change my approach with you and yell at you and maybe lose my mind for half a second and then we can all feel good about it. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have ever described you as someone that berates uh, players. No. But, but, but you always did have like that, that losing your, as you described, like losing your mind um, happened during games and probably not so much during practice, but during games for sure. And you know me like that's not me at all. <laughs> yeah, because you're the only person that's always composed. I would say I was mostly composed, but that builds up in a person. You know, other people will just let it out all the time. Yes, you were always composed. You never, you never lost it. But you're you're the unique one. Yeah. Well, my question, I guess, is like, is it something that you just feel like you can't control, or is it something that you think that helps, or is it maybe both, or you let one kind of like convince you of the other? I don't know. Well, you know what? I think, I think for for some time, I couldn't control it, or maybe I thought I, yeah, I I never thought about controlling it. That's better. I never thought about controlling, like just you know, kind of losing it. Um, but now I have actually given it more thought, and because <laughs> when you go into like a classroom and you're teaching math. Um, <laughs> Like, because sometimes the kids make me lose my mind in there too. Like, I mean, like, how many times can I tell you to 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 show your work and you don't show your work? Like, I want to lose it, but it's just not the appropriate setting. So it just it has given me an opportunity to kind of reflect on it, and I think to now I use it to. I don't know, you know, I'm still kind of figuring it out, but I, I guess the way that I justify it in my mind is that I'm trying to, um, 
change maybe the sense of urgency that this particular player feels about doing this one particular thing. Does that make sense? And I don't know if that's good. I'm still, I still kind of wrestle with that, but I do, I do actually give it a lot of thought now um, and think about, you know, how that, how do they react to that? And, you know, is it effective? I still find it to be pretty effective. (laughs) Yeah, I guess um, I never thought of it that way. I always thought of it and maybe it's just the way I would react to things like that would not that would not be the thing that gets me right um, to do it right. I always thought that the players I'm working with desperately want to be good at what they're doing out there desperately. Right. Um, and so if they're not doing what it takes to be successful, then, um, it's possible that it's like a lack of knowing it's possible that it's like a lack of concentration and it's possible that it's, um, a lack of ability. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think what you're saying is you think that if it's a lack of concentration that you can, you can heighten that concentration or as you called it like sense of urgency by making a big deal of it and i I, tell me first tell me you think i summed that up yeah i think that's yeah 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 yeah, i agree with that and so like for me i think that for as many players as there might be that like would get turned like their their mind like turned on to that thing based on that interaction i think that there's more players that would become distracted by it. Um, yeah, I agree. Like, I agree. I think when most people get yelled at, they they have like this gorilla like like standing on top of them that is like, I just got yelled at, I just got yelled at, and not like a laser focus on the thing that I want them to focus on. Yeah, definitely. So that's definitely. like, I always thought like, whenever a player gets a penalty, like, the next play, they're like way less likely to be good than the next play because they're still thinking about the penalty. Right. And so like if someone got a penalty, sometimes you just take them out of the game because you're afraid that, that the lack of concentration is going gonna, is gonna to hurt them. Right. And so I think of it as like yelling at someone could have like that same effect. And maybe I'm just soft, but... No, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I should, I guess I should have said this, but like it, the, the, the kids that I would it would be less, you know, it's, it's a much smaller portion of the team that I would yell at. Like there's some kids where, like you said, like, and, and maybe I, and I probably don't know all the kids that fall under that category. Like, like what you kind of, how you explain how you would react to somebody yelling at you. But there are some kids where I know, like, if, if you yell at that kid, like he is done for the day. So like those kids, I never, use that on and i don't know if this is just like some stupid coach speak but some other kids i don't get that feeling so i kind of use that tactic and and i'm probably not as sensitive to the kids that you know feel like it's that grill on them as i should be but i but i at least try to pick out pick out kids that are like that won't work for them you know as i kind of get to know the team and the kids so I did warn them when we came to the first game, like, because I hadn't really yelled at them during practice. I did warn them, like, sometimes during the game, I lose my mind, but it will be all right. Like, I still love you guys. Like, it's not personal. Um, yeah. So I did warn them. I did warn them. 
I always remembered uh, Coach Moorhead would always, he would never yell at me or really anyone, except for during the game. He yeah. would yell at anything. Any, yeah. any little thing would cause, cause like a complete oh, yeah. explosion. And yeah, I always like, I always, wa- I always like wonder, cause it just, it really feels, it comes across to me as someone that is out of control that like, isn't, this is not a tactic that they're employing. <laughs> this is a, I cannot control my emotions. And so here it comes. Well, I think, yeah, a lot of times I think that is what it is. Probably the vast, vast majority of times that's, that is what it is. Yeah. So, but you know what? I'm. It's, it's a lot less now because it's just, I never, I don't, you know, if, if we don't win a game, they still need, they still need me to teach that pre-count class. So yeah, I was going to ask you, like, get rid of me. Do you, it might be hard to like really reflect on this, but do you feel like it matters less to you whether you win or lose or you are successful on game day or than it was when you coached college division one level? No, I, you know what? I do reflect on this because sometimes I get stressed and my wife will say, well, you know, you can just do less football. And it, and it took me a while to figure out, like I, I told her, like, I just, I can't, I can't do less. Like I can't, I don't want to lose and I want to give these kids every opportunity to win and be successful. Like I can't, I just can't the person that I am, I just can't do less than I'm doing, you know? And, and so, you know, that is the same way I felt in college. Now it's just different because that's only myself with putting the pressure on me. I think the difference in college is you feel the pressure from all these other places, um, most notably the head coach, right? Who, unless you're at Alabama, right? Like your head coach is maybe trying to, you know, get some better job where he can make more money, and inevitably you can make more money, I guess, right? And and you know, da 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 da, right? Moving up the food chain, right? So you feel the pressure of that, you know, on top of your own, you know, desire to be successful. Um, I like, I know, like how like, you point out Alabama is the place where the people would be less worried about that. <laughs> hey, well, you know, Saban, he just always seems so relaxed. Yeah, he, he is. He does seem kind. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I guess just, I, you know, you know you, you're at Fordham, you're at Central Connecticut, you're at wherever, like, the person that's working there is hoping to get a, a, a different job, like a better job, even though that to, in my mind, that's a great job. Like the person is, is not looking at this, like, all right, I'm good. I'm set. So there's that pressure, which I think, you know, you know, you, you add that and you add that to, like I said, your own desire to be successful, I think. So that it is different, but my own, my, my own, kind of will to win if you will is the same like i, I want to win but when i'm able to take you know the other kind of piece off my shoulders and like my kids can run out onto the field after the game like i'm over it faster it doesn't sit with me as long and luckily i have we haven't lost a lot so that helps too but um i don't know if that kind of answers your question so i, I definitely still want to win but I don't feel quite as much pressure too. Yeah. And I actually thought about this when, you know, taking on verified and starting to get, try to give advice to athletes. I think the one thing, one of the things that athletes are not looking for when they're trying to pick a school that they should be is there are coaches all along this spectrum and other spectrums, I think as well, 
And if you're the athlete that is not going to respond well to a certain type of coaching, then don't go to a place where that's the way that coach coaches. Right. right. And like right. you, you might, you might go someplace and end up with a different coach. They're like, those things do happen. They happen all the time, but don't like go in like to a place where it's set up for you to not be successful and to not fit in well with the culture. Right. Absolutely. Go, go and watch your practice Like go and watch a game. Like, you know, and you're going to see, Yeah. you know, like you're not going to, you're not going to buy a car without test driving it. You know, like you, you want to go and, and do those things and see if that's something that jives with, with you and how you are. Yeah. And then before I let you go, any last words on advice or thoughts that you would want to impart on athletes or their families that are going through the recruiting process? Um, I guess the, the, the only kind of last thing that I would say is, you know, when you're in the recruiting process, I always, you know, don't forget that the people that are on the other side, whether they're good people or bad people, they're professionals in what they're doing. And they have a lot more information about the recruiting process than you do. And, you know, in some ways that kind of sets you up, that it kind of creates a, an imbalance of power. Um, but what I think is important for families to remember is that you have more information about yourself. So that's like how you take kind of some of that power back. And, you know, it's, it's, good to sell yourself. It's good to kind of, if, if you think you want to keep some information to yourself, then keep it to yourself. I'm not saying to be dishonest, but I'm just saying, you know, you're getting recruited by these schools and you're not sure if you want to tell and da, da, da. like, that's okay. You know, they, colleges have information that, that they're going to, sh- that they're going to share with you and they have information that they're not. And when you're on the other side, you should, you should look at your information the same way. Like that's a valuable commodity. And think about how you're going to share that with the school to help put yourself in the best situation. Well, great. Thanks so much, Tim. And uh, we'll catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Nate. Good luck this year or the rest of the year. Bye. All right. That was fun. I miss coaching with Tim. Outside of game day, he's so level-headed that it always surprised me how animated he got during the games. You can know someone for a long time, but having him on the podcast gave me a chance to pick his brain on things that we just normally wouldn't talk about. So really like that. Thanks for listening. And if you find our content valuable, please consider donating on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash verified athletics. You can also support us by sharing this podcast with people you know and support from listeners like you that make it possible to continue to provide helpful and free content to all of our listeners. See you next time.